But it is one of my favorites because it's really kind of a miracle. Every year, you know, we come together and on this day we uh, receive your pledges, your finan financial commitments, and we raise the money necessary to uh, fulfill our mission and our ministries for the coming year. You know, we are a completely independent church, as you know. We don't receive money from the government. We don't receive money from any higher ecclesiastical body. Uh, we're it. And we raise this money every year, and I think it's just kind of a miracle that we start from zero and we go. Uh, and so we're going to do that today later on in the service. Um, you will have a chance to fill out your cards and bring them up to these baskets up here. Uh, and then we'll let you know how we did. But it is a great day. Obviously, if you're a guest today, please uh, don't feel any pressure to, uh, to participate in the commitment uh, ceremony. So the title of the sermon today is, Why Give to This Church? Why Give to the Church? And it's the last of uh, five sermons on uh, this series that we've called, uh, Why Church? Why be involved in a church today? Why give to a church? What are the unique things that a church does for people that really no, one, no other institution does? And so this is the way to end it. Why give to this, uh, this church? And so we'll explore that through a passage of scripture, actually a little different than the one that's listed in the bulletin. We're going to look at it. As I studied it this week, I decided... Um, to look at one that's a little bit different. It's a parallel passage, so the words that we are going to look at are included at the end of this passage. But first, there's a parable, and I, I love the parables of Jesus, and so we'll take a look at this. So this comes from Luke chapter 12, and we'll look at verses 13 through 33. So just sit back and, and listen as I read the scripture. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, the crowd, the disciples, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, these are words you're not going to want to hear from God. You fool! This very night, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus comments on the parable. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, and they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how, how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life, his or her life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world, runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. For no thief comes near and no moth destroys. God, we pray that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts and our minds this morning. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So certainly, one of the most important questions that God poses to all of us is this. What will you do with all that I have given you? What will you do with all that I have given you? You see, uh, one of the central truths, really, kind of the foundational truths of the Christian worldview and the Christian faith is that God has given us everything. All that we have is a gift from God. Our gifts, our abilities, our educational opportunities, our material possessions, our vocations, the air we breathe, our beautiful world, our very life is a gift from God. And we are to steward, take good care of all these gifts for the very short time that we are on this earth. This idea is right at the heart of what we call stewardship. Stewardship basically means that we steward all these things that God has given us. And when we believe this truth, we really believe it and we live it out, 
Wow. That has tremendous implications for our lives. And this is one of the reasons why I say it's really kind of one of the foundational truths of the Christian faith. And I would also add one of the, the beliefs that we have that are so different from what most people believe today, wouldn't you say? One of the big implications for our life, if we believe this, is that being grateful comes so much easier. Because everything is a gift. Boy, and I realize that most people think that what they have is a result of their hard work. And consequently, theirs to do with whatever they want. And maybe, I would say, many Christians actually live this way. You know, everything we have is a gift from God. You know, I'm reminded of the story of a a Silicon Valley CEO, founder of his company, obviously very wealthy, uh, was driving through Oregon with his, um, his wife, and they stopped to get some gas, and as they do in Oregon... Uh, someone pumped gas for him. And the CEO went into the uh, little mini-mart and got some things and came out and saw his wife outside the car talking to this guy that was pumping gas. It was a very animate uh, conversation. And they got in the car, and he said, so who was that? And she said, you know, that's my former boyfriend. We knew each other very well. We were together for a long time. Great guy. It was great seeing him. I, I haven't seen him in years. And so they drove a few miles, and this guy was just dying to ask her a question, right? You know what it all, you know what the question is. Boy, aren't you glad that you married me instead of that guy? She said, no, nah, you know, I was actually thinking, if I married, if I married him... He'd be the CEO of some company, and you'd be pumping gas. <laughs> God asks us this question, and it's such an important question. What are you going to do with all that I have given you? And I'm going to put a point on that today on Financial Commitment Sunday. What are you going to do with the financial resources that God has given you? This is the main point of this parable that I read just a few moments ago. Now, just a side note here. Jesus taught 38 or so parables. Some are up to debate whether they're actually parables or actually something that happened, but right around 38. I would say these are the guts of his teaching, those parables and the Sermon on the Mount. You want to know what Jesus is about, what Jesus is concerned about? Read those two things. Did you know that 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught are stewardship parables? Isn't that interesting? I would say that that somehow implies that stewardship, this idea of of 
Stewarding what God has given us is really important to our faith. Another way, another thing that you could say is this is an investment parable. Jesus is challenging the disciples and us to consider our lives and to challenge us to think about what it is that we invest our financial resources in. And he gives a very strong warning, doesn't he? I mean, this is a strong parable. He says, watch out for greed. Don't give your life, don't give your heart to material possessions because they cannot sustain your life. They can't give you life, ultimately. They are temporary and can be gone in a wink of an eye. As far as investments go, Jesus says, you know what, they're kind of risky because so many things can come and steal them away. Now, the occasion for this parable is this dispute between two brothers about an inheritance. And Jesus is very smart here. First of all, he doesn't get dragged into that discussion. <laughs> but secondly, I, I think he senses, as he so often does, something going on in, in the heart of this person asking the question. And so at the beginning of the parable, we are told that a rich man's uh, farm produced this bumper crop, huge crop. His barn was already filled. All his barns were already sold, filled. So he faced this dilemma. What am I going to do? What, where am I going to store all this stuff? Kind of reminds me of our storage units, right? Where are we going to store all this stuff? This tells us a lot about this man. He already had more than enough but the thought of sharing, of perhaps giving away his surplus, just never occurred to him. Instead, he says, I know what I will do. I will tear down the barns, the little barns I already have. I'll tear those things down, and I will build bigger, better barns. And then I will be set for the rest of my life. I can just kick back, eat and drink Mary, and that's where we get our saying. And then God responds, you fool. Tonight you will die. In your big old barns, with all your stuff, who's going to get all that stuff? And what good are they? Why such hard, harsh words? They are harsh. Well, because Jesus knows how tempting it is for us, even as people of faith, to spend our lives chasing after material things and building bigger barns and bigger 401ks and all the rest and hold tightly to our money. It's easy for us to worry, Jesus says to worry about what we will eat and drink and what we will wear. It's easy us to worry about paying for college and medical care and vacations and adventures and all the rest. It's very tempting to worry about whether there will be enough. 
And Jesus says as much in his comments, which follow the parable when he says in verse 29, such an important verse. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about all that stuff. For the pagan world or the world that doesn't know God runs after all such things and our Father knows, our Father knows that you need them. See, and this is where it gets to be a matter of trust, right? This is why money is such an important, you know, God doesn't need our money, folks. <laughs> God doesn't need our money. God wants your hearts. And God knows that if he has your money, most likely your heart is going to follow, right? He's got your heart. So Jesus is saying something very insightful here. He is gently chiding his disciples. He's saying that although you are children of God, it is tempting to set your hearts on other things. But Jesus warns us in pretty strong terms. He says, don't worry about all those things. Don't invest your life in them because they are temporary and susceptible to all kinds of things. And in the, the parallel passage that I was going to read, it says, you know, moths can come in and, and eat it and rust can destroy it. They're temporary. But most importantly, don't set your hearts on those things because if you do, you will miss out on what life is all about. They can't deliver. So he encourages us to go another route. He says, there's an alternative to building bigger barns and going after more and more and more and worrying about all that stuff, and that is this, being rich toward God. Really important phrase in this passage. Being rich toward God. What exactly does that mean, being rich toward God? Well, it can mean a lot of things. But I would say this. Being rich toward God means we believe that life here on earth is not all that there is. That there's something beyond what we see and experience here. Being rich toward God means investing our time and our resources toward furthering the kingdom of God, of bringing God's intention and will to earth, of doing God's work in the world. Being rich toward God means giving. Whenever we give, we are being rich toward God. And being rich toward God in the things of God means that we are rich in the things that matter most to God and we know that very clearly people and love and relationships now this scripture is challenging and it, it challenges us to ask this question are we investing in things that last for eternity the things that matter to God or are our hearts set on the things that will one day end up in a landfill? God is asking each one of us this morning, what are you doing 
with the money that I have so graciously given you. Now, in the time remaining for a couple of minutes, I want to encourage you to invest generously in this church. I'm shameless. I'm just going to give it to you. Because I believe so much in this church. And in the church. So why give to this church? Well, when you give to this church, many will benefit. And see, this is about the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes to earth, the will of God, what that means is the will of God reigns. And when that happens, everything benefits. The world, creation, would benefit. The poor will benefit. You will benefit. You see, when you give to this church, you will benefit. When you give to this church, you will be benefit because you know what? You are the church. <laughs> That's what's so funny. You know, sometimes I hear, oh, the church just always asks for money. Like, well, number one, we don't ask for money that much. We don't talk about that money that much. If we, if we talked about money as much as Jesus do, did, half the sermons would be about money during the year. Do you want, do you want me to do that? <laughs> it's because it's so important. Because it's what can steal this more than anything else. But you are the church. This is your church. And when you give to it, you know, you're benefiting from it. The programs that you enjoy, the beautiful music you enjoy, all the things that we talked about these last five weeks, you know, a place to worship, a place to belong, a place to grow, to use your gifts, and to grow spiritually, like Paul was talking about today. A place to make a difference, to come together. That's you. It all happens because we give. And I can honestly say that all the money you give towards fulfilling the purpose God has for this church, or you give, fulfills the purpose that God has for this church, which is basically loving God and loving others. And we have, you can all look at the budget. Every, we can give you the most detailed budget. See where this money goes. It all goes towards this. And you benefit. But others benefit besides. You know, I am so thrilled with our mission partners, those organizations that we have partnered with, these local organizations, City Team, Harbor House, and Children Rising, they're all doing great work in our, in our community. They are reaching out to the folks that Jesus cared about so much. The poor, the marginalized, those people who are often forgotten, each one of those organizations in their own way reach out to those people. I have to tell you, I can't tell you how thrilled Jim Wombach was when he learned that uh, he's the executive director of Children Rising, which is this organization helping kids in our Oakland schools learn how to read. He was so thrilled when we told him that, you know, our Christmas Eve offering raised 
for them in their new program to help underserved kids get a chance in life. So when you give, it benefits you, it benefits others. I also encourage you to invest more in this church because we have a goal of becoming a financially healthy church in the next five years. You know, we've gone through some rough times over the last few years. We went through a leadership change that took its toll. We went through a pandemic that hurt us like it did every church in the United States. And beyond that, you know what? I would honestly say, from my experience of doing this for 40 years, that our church has been underfunded for a number of years. That we just haven't given in a way that will really fund this church and all that we want to do. You know, there's been a gap between what we give and what we spend. And we've been drawing on reserves for a number of years, and we've depended on some big givers who have given a substantial percentage of our, our budget, of our giving, and a lot of those people are no longer here. <laughs> and so it's coming upon all of us to step up in a bigger way. Um, so we want to close this gap. And we'll admit it's grown somewhat in the last couple of years because we have made, our leadership has made intentional decisions to invest in ministries which will help us grow and reach new people. Next Gen, perfect example. We knew we couldn't afford that. We borrowed from reserves, hoping that we will close the gap in the years ahead. You know, these last few years also, we have really done a lot of work. <laughs> you know, our, our board of trustees and staff have done a lot of work looking at our personnel budget and realized, you know, some of our staff who had worked here 30 years never had retirement benefits. I don't want to be a church that doesn't take care of our staff. Do you? And so we made those adjustments. And we realized that the pay was unequal, really, between our staff. And so we made some adjustments to make those more equal. We did all those things. And we're done with that, and we're moving on, but those were increases. We hired a custodial service to take good care of this facility. Um, and we have a goal now of closing that gap by 2030. And we've appointed a committee, Rich Thompson, Pat Leischer, Tom Perry, and myself, to work on what we are calling the 2030 vision, to develop a plan on how to become a financially a healthy church, but also, you know, the finances are just driven by our ministries and our vision and what we want to do to look at all those things and come up with a plan to close that gap so that by 2030, we won't be dependent on huge givers or reserves and we'll be healthy. And we'll get there, I hope, by cutting expenses and increasing revenue. Friends, I have to tell you, our giving is not where it should be. And I don't say that to put guilt on you. I'm just saying that's reality. So we got to step up. We're asking for a 20% increase this year in our budget. And it, actually, it's even more than that because we were dependent on these transitional gifts that some people gave, which were really generous. 
20%. I, I think we can do this. There's no doubt in my mind we can do this. You know, I, my wife and I, we increased our, our giving by 50% last year. Why? Because I believe in this church. And I'm grateful to what God has done in my life. And what God is doing here. Now, did that hurt? You know, I was talking to another young man who's just entered into the leadership of our church on the finance committee this week, and he said, you know, I didn't even realize before I got on the finance committee that we were hurting. And I bet many of you didn't realize this either. He said, so I increased last year. He said, I, I didn't really feel, feel it. We made it. Our increase, did I feel it? Yeah, I felt it. There were things I could not do last year because we gave that gift. Things I couldn't buy. Money I couldn't put in my retirement account. <laughs> but am I glad I did it? Absolutely. <laughs> did I survive? Did we survive? Our dog still eats good food. So I think you could do this. And what I want to encourage you to do is prayerfully consider it. And think about what this church means to you. And think about what your relationship with Christ means to you. And seek God on this. And see if God is not perhaps nudging you to increase yours. So that we can give our church a great future. We can do this if we pull together. There's no doubt in my mind. So let's now take some time. We will take the regular offering right now, and then we will have a time uh, to bring up the financial pledge cards. So don't put the pledge cards in the offering now. That comes later. So let me pray first, and um, then we'll take the offering. God, we thank you that you have given us so much. We're so grateful. And really, when we stop and we take stock of our lives and what we have and all that you have given us, we uh, realize that we are truly, 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 truly blessed. So God, may we respond to your goodness in our life, uh, our lives through our giving. And Lord, may our giving be... Sacrificial, as C.S. Lewis says, it, it always should pinch a little bit. So I pray that as we consider this this morning, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds and that we would respond to your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.